Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We very much want to finish this important bill. It's not really about infrastructure at all. There is a huge problem with it. It is not paid for. The government's July employment report. Unemployment rate 5.4%. Spirit Airlines. It's chaos. We're not built to deal with this level of disruption. They better not start making it mandatory for our kids to have this vaccine. They do have the votes to impeach the governor. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Friday's edition of News and Views. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe all that happened in just a week, but uh, it has and more. The Free Beacon is reporting today a North Carolina sheriff is leaving the Democratic Party, blasting the new Democrats in D.C. who attack and degrade all law enforcement officers who risk their lives every day, a.k.a. Cory Bush, who constantly wants to uh, defund the police. The present Democratic Party has left me, says Gaston County Sheriff Alan Cloninger. He said that on Wednesday. He calls himself a conservative Democrat, as my father and my family have always been. He said the party no longer exists. Cloninger, who announced he is retiring at the end of his term, specifically criticized the National Democratic Party for demeaning police officers who protect the police, who protect the people, I should say, and in return are given no respect which he called wrong and unjustified. And, of course, the Joe Biden administration says, no, it's uh, the Republicans that are doing that. Interesting how the uh, actual police officers and sheriffs, uh, they know the difference. Uh, He is not the only one. In recent days, Smith County, Virginia, Sheriff Chip Shuler said that he left the Democratic Party in the same way they left law enforcement, describes himself now as a proud member of the Republican Party. Dickinson County, Virginia, Sheriff Jeremy Fleming, a registered Democrat, endorsed Republican Jason Myers for state attorney, saying Democrats have left police officers defenseless and unsupported. Again, I, you know, if we have a fair election next time around, if there's no cheating, well, if there's minimal cheating, let me put it that way, uh, it, it's, it's going to be another shellacking. It is going to be worse than the shellacking that Obama took in his first midterm election. Interestingly, a new poll out from the Harvard Caps Harris Poll Survey said a vast majority of voters say more police are needed on the street amid concerns over a rise in violent crime across the country. And of course, you have Democrats that, nah, we need more social workers. 75% of respondents said police are needed. On the street, while only 25% say they do not need more cops on the beat, 72% of voters also said they oppose defunding police, and a slim 52% majority said they support the controversial practice of stop and frisk in urban areas to deter deter gun crime. Now, remember, this is what Giuliani did in New York, and it it made New York one of the safest, safest major metropolitan areas maybe in the world, but certainly in the United States, uh, that has been stopped by de Blasio. So there is no stop and frisk. And uh, as a result, crime is up big time, 52%. A slim majority, but as much negative press that has put been put on stop and frisk, that's still a majority. Um, 
56% also say they oppose eliminating cash bail. I'm surprised that's only 56%. Uh, Yeah, you've got places like New York City, de Blasio, that says, no, we'll just let them out. No cash needed for the bail. Despite the support of those tough-on-crime messages and measures, 57% of voters also say that marijuana should be decriminalized. Crime is becoming the next crisis in America, with overwhelming numbers seeing an increase in crime, and Americans want stricter, not looser forms of government, says Mark Penn. And again, I think the American people know very well, regardless of what Joe Biden and Jen Psaki says, the American people know who is pushing to fund the police, and it's not the Republicans. The poll comes as concerns about violence make it a top issue in the 2022 midterms. Uh, Yeah, I think it's going to help Republicans big time. Uh, The Democrats have just pushed it way, way too far. Speaking of elections, the North Carolina General Assembly election map makers will spend next week debating and adopting criteria for this year's redistricting process. The process will produce new maps for the 2022 election to the State House, Senate, along with North Carolina's uh, delegation to the U.S. House of Representatives. Yesterday, an online portal was scheduled to be open for public comment. A meeting to discuss criteria is scheduled for next Monday. Lawmakers will take in-person comments from the public on Tuesday the 10th. Then the State House and the Senate uh, redistricting committees will vote on criteria Thursday, August the 12th. House Redistricting Chair Dennis Hall from Caldwell County set out that schedule during a joint meeting of the House and Senate mapmakers on Thursday. Once lawmakers have adopted criteria, the next order of business will be how to decide when to hold public hearings on the redistricting process. A vote on a hearing schedule should take place at the end of August, Hall said. Democratic lawmakers have pushed in recent years for the General Assembly to form an independent redistricting commission. Representative Billy Richardson, a Democrat from Cumberland County, asked whether the tight timeline would allow for that type of process. Richardson said, well, I've always liked that process. That is to have an independent redistricting commission. No, you (laughs) don't. The idea that I've always liked that process is laughable. When the Dems were in the majority and could gerrymander maps to their advantage, however they wanted, with no pushback from the courts, uh, you were all about the majority party calling the shots. Uh, Don't don't lie to us and tell us, oh, yeah, I've always liked that. Yeah, uh, you've always liked it since the Democrats lost control and the Republicans are in charge. So we talked a lot yesterday about the fact that this eviction moratorium, which has been extended by the CDC, is blatantly unconstitutional. And uh, the Supreme Court, we mentioned back in June of this year, on June 29th, the Supreme Court said, uh, even though they did not deliver a ruling that would have... uh, basically given the nod to the Alabama Association of Realtors eliminating the moratorium back in June, what they said was the Supreme Court of the United States said, okay, we are not going to eliminate it right now, but for it, in order for it to be extended beyond July the 31st, 
It needed congressional action. The CDC had no authority to implement this. Uh, they don't. They didn't, and they still don't. And yet, earlier this week, the CDC did just that. They came out with this pronouncement that the eviction moratorium is uh, going to be extended for another two months till the end of October, which, uh, frankly, people ought to say, so what? You have no authority to do this. And they don't. And yet, seemingly, that is, in essence, what people are giving the nod to. However, up in Franklin County, Ohio, they have uh, taken a stance against Biden's recent directive for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to issue the 60-day extension. In a statement released yesterday, Franklin County Municipal Court Administrative and Presiding Judge Ted Barrows said the county will not comply, citing an appeals court ruling last month. On uh, July 23rd, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati found that the CDC didn't have authority to impose the nationwide moratorium. Based on that ruling, Franklin County Court released uh, the courts in uh, the release said courts in Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan are no longer bound by the latest moratorium from the CDC imposed on Tuesday. Franklin County is not alone on this issue. Wednesday, Toledo Housing Court Judge Joseph Howe said the Toledo Blade and his court would abide by the appeals court decision and not honor the moratorium either. Uh, we are entering into anarchy and chaos. Now, it, it's not caused by these courts that have, have said, no, the Sixth Court of Appeals has ruled, the Supreme Court has ruled, and we're going to go by them, not the unelected CDC. So they're not the ones that are causing the anarchy. But the Biden administration, the executive branch, we've got three branches of government, executive, judicial, and legislative. And the executive branch, as they did under Barack Obama when he said, hey, I don't need Congress, I've got a pen and a phone. The Biden administration is carrying on with that, and they need to be stopped. The three branches are co-equal. Judge Barrows made it clear to the Columbus Dispatch that tenants have the same rights that they did before the pandemic, so you'd have to go through the normal process of eviction. But this moratorium is irrelevant. Hopefully, now it's not going to happen in states that are run by Democrats, but the court system very well could intervene and say, hey, ignore it. I, I, I think we're going to see much, much more of what happened in Franklin County, Ohio. We're going to see much, much more of that throughout the United States. I only hope. Public policy polling. We haven't heard from them in a while. They've got a new Georgia poll. Herschel Walker, who we've had on this program numerous times. We've got to get him back on again. Um, he looks like he might be the front runner in the U.S. Senate race. Yes, they do have another U.S. Senate race coming up. As uh, you might note, the uh, Raphael Warnock, he won in a special election. That is not the normal six-year term, so he is up for re-election. Georgians are uh, pretty evenly split about 
both Joe Biden's performance and Raphael Warnock's um, performance. Biden is a little underwater. 46% of uh, Georgians, I should say, uh, approve Biden, 48 disapprove. For Warnock, 43 approve, 42 disapprove. Um, Donald Trump is still holding tight for the GOP with 83% of Republicans rating him favorably, only 11% unfavorably. Herschel Walker looks like the strongest and the most discussed Republican candidate with the party base. He has uh, 72 uh, in favor, seven against. That, that's from GOP voters. By contrast, Kelly Loeffler has much higher negatives, 56 slash 21. Agricultural Commissioner Gary Black, who is pretty much unknown even by Georgians, um, they, they really don't have an opinion on him because he doesn't know, the people don't know a lot about him. Walker is also the strongest Republican hopeful in the overall electorate. Among all voters, he's plus 13% favorability compared to Loeffler, minus 19. Warnock uh, is uh, plus one. So uh, Walker might be, uh, uh, would that be nice? Herschel Walker, U.S. Senator, Republican from the state of Georgia? I think he's got a shot. (laughs) You know, uh, I have said for years that the Republican Party and the conservative movement, and, and really set aside the Republican Party comment, but the conservative movement will have really come into its own when we see more and more black Americans like Herschel Walker, like Tim Scott, being elected to office representing not blacks, not whites, but conservatives. And uh, the whole idea, look, Democrats and liberals are scared to death of the Tim Scotts and Herschel Walkers of the world. They are. Because they have played the race card for decades now. They continue to play it. That's why we have critical race theory. They continue to play the race card. And uh, they will lose their talking points as you see more and more Herschel Walkers elected to office. Hey, we've got to take a time out. We get back. Uh, poll numbers in on the recall election for Gavin Newsom. And Gavin might not be in office too much longer. We'll talk about that when we get back. Hollywood. You don't know everything about me. Watch up, Dad. Fake stories made to entertain. The tree that heals all. But real life deserves real news. The Delta variant. The cases rise. We don't need mandates. Get this border secure. Reopening schools. Raging inflation. Inappropriate sexual advances. We separate fact from fiction. The world has a way of changing. The reality of what's happening. This is real life. Eastern Carolina's place to talk about everything. Right now, more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. It is news and views for a Friday. Take a look at your weekend weather forecast. Uh, Some rain tomorrow. Tonight, the rain starts with a 40% chance, low around 72. Showers likely tomorrow, high near 81. 70% chance of rain on Saturday. 
Uh, tomorrow night, the rain dissipates at the low around 68. Sunday, mostly sunny, a slight chance of an afternoon showers high in the 80s. Temperatures are going to be nice. Uh, unfortunately, the rain will be here for a good portion of Saturday. A new poll released this week showed that Gavin Newsom, the Democratic governor, is facing increasing number of likely voters who believe uh, he should be given the boot. The poll from Survey USA and the San Diego Union-Tribune showed that 51% of likely voters in the upcoming recall election would vote to support recalling Newsom. Those who voted said that they would keep um, Newsom in office came to 40% of likely voters. So that means you've got a good 9% that said they're not sure. I would think if they're not sure, they, you know, I think you probably split that down the middle, which means Newsom would be out. The San Francisco uh, Gate reported the previously Survey USA San Diego Union uh, Tribune poll from May found 36% in favor of the recall, 47% opposed. That really has flipped in a major way in just two months. Residents were asked why they think Newsom should be recalled. 34% said Newsom's handling of COVID. 13 the closures of businesses. 4% the closures of school. 10% point to Newsom's attendance at a party while the state was in lockdown. 18% say Newsom's spending decisions are the main reason he should be recalled. 12% say the mishandling of unemployment dollars. You know, now when they do these polls... They usually give you those choices. It's, it's multiple choice. They don't say, oh, what do you think? And you just blurt out. I wonder if in the multiple choice, though, they had the question that they were upset with Newsom's handling of churches in California because he came down hard on churches while he was allowing retail outlets and many entertainment venues to shut down or to stay open, I should say, he was shutting down churches. You know, the other thing, too, remember all the stories about how you'd have um, these movie sets would be wide open and they'd be serving food to all the people that were working on the movie, and yet nearby a restaurant was shut down, basically the same environment as the, the movie production company was having. Survey USA reported Democrat Kevin Paraf, a YouTuber and real estate broker, takes 27% of the replacement vote today. Paraf draws particular support from younger voters, Latinos, Democrats, and liberals, and leads um, 12 to 1 amongst those who are opposed to recalling Newsom. Republican on the Republican side, Larry Elder, talk show host, attorney, and documentary filmmaker, takes 23%. Elder runs strongly amongst older voters, among Republicans and conservatives, and leads among independents 27 to 19. Elder leads 2 to 1 in the Inland Empire and by 30 points in rural California. Now, what's interesting about this, okay, this Kevin Paraff, according to this poll, you'd say, okay, he's leading 27% to 23% for Elder. But one of the areas he leads in are people— that are against the recall. So those people are not going to be voting for him because they're not going to vote for the recall to begin with. They're going to be voting for Gavin Newsom, who's losing. 
which means it looks like looks like Larry Elder might have a good shot at being the next governor of California. And Larry Elder is a newcomer to this. I mean, he just got in the race, what, a month ago? This is uh, interesting. Town Hall is reporting three CNN employees were terminated for showing up to work unvaccinated with network Jeff Zucker, president, saying that the news outlet won't tolerate those who are not inoculated coming to the office and working with colleagues in the field. Now, I thought liberals were all about things being private when it came to medical issues, right? That's just between me and my doctor, right? My body, my choice, right? Thus far, CNN has been operating on the honor system regarding employees' vaccination status, but Zucker said that could change soon, according to the Washington Post. I thought that was a private matter. I thought it was none of your business. In the past week, we have made aware of three employees who are coming to the office unvaccinated. Now, here's the question. Do they have immunity? Did they have the virus? Do they have the antibodies? Liberals don't care. They want to make sure you're vaccinated. And if you're not, they will continue the pandemic hysteria so they can do things like corrupt elections, like come out with unconstitutional eviction moratoriums. I mean, look, this is a political, as, as Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. This is a political opportunity for the left. Other companies such as Facebook, Google, The Washington Post, Uber, Morgan Stanley, Tyson Foods have also made vaccines mandatory for employees. Last week, Biden said federal employees would also need to be inoculated, as is the military. They're saying you've got to be inoculated. In response to CNN's proclamation, I thought this was funny. So CNN is firing three people for not getting the vaccine, and we don't know whether or not they have immunities. Radio host Jason Rance and others put the firing of the unvaccinated CNN employees into perspective. Rance said, friendly reminder that CNN doesn't fire guys pleasuring themselves on Zoom meetings with coworkers. Can you say Jeffrey Tubin? Charlie Kirk wrote, CNN is firing employees for not taking the vaccine, but they won't fire anchors or executives who coordinate talking points with sexual predator governors. Can you say Chris and Andrew Cuomo? Oh, he gets a buy. Cuomo gets a buy, even though highly unethical, that while he's interviewing his brother, the Gov, He's also writing out excuses for the gov to release in statements for why he should not be attacked as a sexual predator. This next story is um, unbelievably heartbreaking. It is a horror story. I mean, this is a horror story. I remember watching years ago a, a movie flick that was so disturbing. I, I, I had to turn it off. It was it was it was a sort of a horror film where a bunch of kids um, were uh, down in some Caribbean island, and uh, this guy was basically removing their organs to sell on the black market. 
terrible horror. I mean, I, I, it was one of those just disturbing horror films. I don't even know why I watched it. But um, unfortunately, th this sad, sick story is our, our true life story of that horror film. CBN News out of Virginia Beach is reporting in what sounds like something from the plot of a fictional horror movie. The National Institute of Health, the NIH, authorized a $3 million grant to the University of Pittsburgh for inducing labor on full-term pregnant women and then surgically removing organs from the fetuses for the school's tissue bank. This is not fiction, unfortunately. It's all too real. According to newly released public records recently acquired by conservative watchdog Judicial Watch, thank goodness for Judicial Watch and Tom Fenton, he did this on behalf of the Center for Medical Progress, which is um, David Daladin's group. John Solomon, renowned reporter with Just the News, he reports the 2015 grant application by the University of Pittsburgh also guaranteed about half the fetuses whose organs were removed would be non-white, including a quarter black. That was written into the application? Why? Judicial Watch sued the National Institute of Health, Institutes of Health, after the agency delayed in responding to the Center for Medical Progress's Freedom of Information request for the documentation involving the school's proposed tissue bank. No reason as to why the Center for Medical Progress was denied the information. Both organizations have posted hundreds of pages of the requested material received from the NIH to their respective webs websites. Some pages are fully redacted. Several of the pages are posted by themselves to highlight specific areas of the university's program. The documents reveal that Pitt promised the NIH it could obtain very high-quality tissue and biological specimens from at least five unborn babies a week, ages 6 to 42 weeks, according to Just the News. At the time, the school was changing its institutional review board and autopsy consent forms to permit the collection of aborted fetuses older than 24 weeks. And this is where this really gets disturbing. In its application, Pitt said it had over 18 years of experience collecting body parts from aborted babies under the reasons for becoming a distribution hub for the NIH, the school pointed out. Um, there's something called... Uh, ischemia... They, they, they are bragging the ischemia time is minimized. Okay, what is ischemia? And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, if you're a doctor, don't hold me too, too close. <laughs> um, basically, th they are bragging that the organs they remove from these fetuses are kept at body temperature while they're being removed. According to the NIH, warm ischemia time is the time a tissue organ or body part remains at body temperature after it is, its bl blood supply has been reduced or cut off 
but before it is cooled or reconnected to a blood supply. Uh, connect the dots, folks. If the unborn baby's heartbeat and blood circulation continue in a labor induction abortion for har harvesting organs, and this is unbelievably sick, it means the fetus is being delivered while still alive and the cause of the death of the child is the removal of the organs. Uh, is it any wonder our country is living in the chaos that we are in? When we take life and, and are so willing to destroy it in such a brutal Frankenstein manner, I mean, this is a horror film. This is a horror film. They're taking babies 24 weeks and older, delivering them, and taking the harvest, harvesting the organs basically while the child is still alive. This is criminal. These people need to be arrested. I mean, do you remember Gosnell? Kermit Gosnell in Philadelphia, the, the, the death asylum he was running. What is the difference? The difference is, okay, this is a prestigious university. He ran a, he ran a, 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 a terribly filthy lab in Philadelphia, some second-floor apartment, basically, his little tenement. Oh, we've got a prestigious university. Therefore, we've got to say it's okay. This is sick. These people need to be arrested. This is criminal. Do you think the Justice Department, do you think the Biden Justice Department is going to do a darn thing about this? Pray for our nation. This is sick. Let's take another time out. Stay with us. More to come. Friday's edition of the News and Views. We'll be right back. News and Views, Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. News and Views for a Friday. Tom Lamprecht with you. Benny will be back on Monday. Fox News is reporting an interesting story out of Denver. Denver spends more on homelessness per person than they do on K through 12th grade students than they do on Veterans Affairs. The city of Denver spends at least twice as much on homelessness per person as it does on K-12 public education per student. And the spending crushes the Veterans Affairs budget in the state. This is according to a new study that came out yesterday. For comparison, the city reportedly spends, are you ready for this? The city reportedly spends between $41,679 and $104,201 on each person experiencing homelessness in a year, while it spends $19,202 on each K-12 through public school students over the same period of time. <laughs> Wait a minute. Stop and think about that. 
Now, to put it in perspective, the amount spent on each homeless person in the area is comparable to the average income of area residents. The average rent for a person living in the area is $21,156 per year, and the median per capita income is $45,000. So the average income in the city of Denver is $45,000, and the city of Denver is spending on each homeless person between $41,000 and $104,000. Now consider this. Some of the people that are making $45,000, they're supporting an entire family on that. Now, I, I know that would be hard, and maybe mom and dad are both working to bring the income up, but I mean, think about that. $45,000 is, is going to support more than one person, more than likely, uh, the $45,000 income. But on homelessness, at minimum, it's $41,679 per person. So if you had a family of four that were homeless, you'd be spending over $160,000 on them? I mean, $160,000. Now, Denver's not a cheap place to live, but $160,000, you can live quite well. I, this, <laughs> this does make zero sense. And, and they're wondering why so many homeless people show up to Denver. Because you're treated like royalty, apparently. The Denver metro area spends $481 million on health care, housing, and other services for the homeless, according to a report from Fox 31. That amount also is nearly four times more than the budget for the Colorado Department of Military and Veterans Affairs and significantly more than the public safety, labor, and employment departments the station reported. How many of these homeless people are working? Uh, yeah, I... I I, I don't want to assume anything, but I doubt that many of them are. That's why they're homeless to begin with. Uh, could you, you, you think it might be a good idea to have an incentive to get people back to work? On Wednesday, the city released its five-year plan combating homelessness. They're not combating it. They're underwriting it. They said... The aim of all these steps and our entire strategy is to help as many of our unhoused residents as possible to enter housing and stay housed. Mayor Hancock wrote in a letter Wednesday with the release of the five-year plan. He also defended the city's increased homelessness encampment sweeps. When homelessness occurs, we should do everything in our power as a society, not just a government, to make it a brief and one time. Uh, you think spending $41,000 minimum per homeless person is going to make it brief? Look, I, I'm not trying to dance on anybody's grave, or I, I, I take no delight in this, but you're, you're not helping them out. You're keeping them in. I mean, there, it. look, I, I don't sound ugly, but the, the, there ought to be a little incentive to want to get out. I mean, if, if something is uncomfortable, you want to get out of that. You want to pull yourself up and get out of that. You're spending 41000 per person? Whew. Yeah. You, you wonder, do you, do you, let, me, let me go out on the limb here. I, I'm, I'm just going to guess that this Mayor Hancock is a Democrat. I think I'm safe on that bet.
A labor union representing 7,000 deputies in Los Angeles County. It's the Sheriff's Department Labor Union. Um, they're pushing back on this mandate that uh, everybody get vaccinated. Hilda Solis, former labor, if that name is familiar, she used to be in the Obama administration. She's currently the chair of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. The association saw Solis's tweet last night notifying 110,000 county employees they will be required to receive a COVID-19 vaccination. The union said in the statement, Supervisor Solis' announcement via Twitter was a prime example of the lack of professionalism we have come to expect from her office. This is how you tell 110,000 county employees that you got to be vaccinated if you want to keep your job? You send it out on Twitter. Oh, that's official. That's classy. The statement further criticizes Solis, claiming she failed to reach out to stakeholders before issuing the mandate. The union said its lawyers were reviewing the order and is asserting its bargaining rights over her decision. Of course, Newsom, who might not be the governor too much longer, said this is the right move. The Daily Wire previously reported the order was announced after county health authorities confirmed 3,734 new corona cases on Wednesday and said 16 more people diagnosed with the illness had passed away. They didn't say over what period of time. I'm, I'm assuming this is probably over like a two-week period of time. Officials say daily hospitalizations continue to grow, noting that 1,242 patients were currently admitted on COVID-19. Uh, you know, th these numbers, um, they're actually less than what you would see in a bad flu season. I mean, stop and think about this. L.A. County is a population of just under 10 million people. I mean, just under, just a couple hundred thousand under 10 million people. In the years, in the five years, 2016 through 2020, the average number of deaths each year for those five years was 67,667 in L.A. County. That is 185 deaths per day. Over a two-week period, that's 2,590 people who pass away in L.A. County. I'm not trying to sound morbid. I'm just trying to put it in perspective. We're going bonkers. And look, I'm, it's sad. I, I know for those people that lost their loved ones, they're upset. And they're upset with COVID. And they're upset with China. And I understand that. But first of all, those 16 people that died, they died being COVID positive. It doesn't necessarily mean that that was the only issue they had. In fact, with this Delta variant, which the the, the morbidity, um, or the mortality rate, I should say, with with the Delta variant is very low. This out of the mouth of Ben Carson, who ought to know something about this. So we don't know if these people who died had other morbidities, but chances are likely that they did. But even if they did not. We're talking about a half of 1%. We're talking about rates that are lower in a bad flu season. And for this, we're demanding that people get vaccinated. For this, we're getting ready to shut down schools, businesses. For this, we're saying you can't work unless you have the vaccine. You can't work unless you wear the mask. You can't fly unless you're vaccinated. 
We're shutting down our society. We're shutting, shutting down our economy for basically a bad flu season. Yep. Unbelievable. Hey, we got to take another time out. Stay with us. News and Views continues for a Friday right after this. This is your Drive at 5, and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Ron DeSantis came out earlier today and uh, has issued a warning to Unilever, and particularly the Unilever uh, company, Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream. Ben & Jerry's, as you might remember, came out and uh, said they were going to no longer allow their product to be uh, sold in Israel. They're going to take away the franchise right from uh, Israel because they seem to think that Israel is a uh, totalitarian state that is oppressing the Palestinians. And so therefore, um, Ron DeSantis came out and said, okay, if you all are going to do that, uh, we've got certain laws on our book and uh, basically, by uh, placing Ben & Jerry's Fortune 500 company Unilever on our list of scrutinized companies that boycott Israel, Florida will be sending a message to corporate America that we defend our strong relationship with the Jewish state. I will not stand by idly as woke corporation ideologues seek to boycott and divest from our ally Israel. Apparently, there are laws on the book that have been passed in Florida that um, if you're going to boycott Israel as a business, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they will boycott you. Among other things, they will bar the state of Florida from holding any stock in their pension funds portfolio. And, you know, okay, is that going to put them out of business? No. But, um, hey, you know what? It's a message that we're not going to put up with it. It's a message that, that no, you don't have us. Uh, if, if you want to do this, we have some things that we can do as well. By the way, as we get ready to close out, um, congratulations to the Greenville Tar Heel All Stars who won earlier today by beating West Virginia four to one down in uh, Georgia. So uh, we will see. Will they make it to the? Finals up in Williamsport. Well, they got a few more games to play down in uh, Warner Robins, Georgia first, but uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And congratulations again. Keep it going, guys. Hey, have a great weekend, everybody. And we will do it again on Monday at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.